So we're continuing a conversation we've started probably on week three, I think now, on the secret of singularity. Can I just make sure that you haven't misunderstood the title? It wasn't the secret of singleness. I was chatting with somebody just earlier and they said to me, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about singleness. So if that's you and you've come to find out the secret of singleness, I'm really sorry, this is not about that. What we're going to be talking about this afternoon is the secret of singularity. There are a number of times in, throughout the Bible where individuals come to the point where they say something of this kind of nature. This one thing I do. In other words, they've eliminated a whole bunch of other things in that statement and they are giving themselves fully and completely to a particular task. And uh, you know, King David said, as for me, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will live intentionally towards God in that way. And we know the blessing that God had become and was always throughout the course of David's life. Now we've come to another individual who has a similar invitation from God. And if you have a Bible, you're going to be reading from Luke chapter 10. And this is the story, you've probably heard it many, many times, of Martha and Mary. Can I just do a quick straw poll in the room this afternoon? Do we have any Marys in? I don't mean is your name Mary, but what I mean is, are you the kind of person that's devotional? Give me a wave if that's you. You love to sit at the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> There's three of us, that's helpful, isn't it? <laughs> well, have we got any Marthas in? Busy, busy, busy people. Do we not have any? What about Lazaruses? Because he died, you know that, don't you? <laughs> Do we have um, any Marthas in? Yeah. Now, I just want to say before we read the text together, sometimes I think Martha gets a bad press. If the church was just full of Marys sitting around at the feet of Jesus, then the gospel would never reach the nations. <laughs> would it? Nothing would ever get done, and you wouldn't even have a chair to sit on. If Mary was looking after proceedings, she'd be wasting her time in the presence of God and wasting her life loving Jesus and just pouring out devotion. So I thank God for both Marys and Marthas. But the truth is, we are called to be both. That's the balance. We are called to be both a Mary, living in devotion and delight in God, but we're also called to be a Martha. Do you know why I know that? Because it says, faith without works is dead. And it's all well and good us developing our own personal relationship with Jesus. And please, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. That's a complete priority for me in my life. But actually, unless it turns up in my family, unless that relationship turns up in my workplace, unless it turns up in my church or in my community, all I have is a piety. I have a spiritual piety, but no power that's demonstrated through it. And so we'll come to the story, but it's a very familiar one. Now, you know this story well because Martha had an unexpected house guest. Anybody ever had an unexpected house guest? Now, no gentleman usually don't bat an eyelid when there's an unexpected house guest. But the ladies are running around in the background trying to make things happen. You know, when I was a kid, when anyone turned up in our house, the first thing I always used to do was tidy up. Because when you're living without guests coming, you tend to live a little bit more casually, don't you? Amen? Okay, so he gets an unexpected house guest. And this isn't any ordinary guest. This is the Son of God. 
Now Mary and Martha had relationship with Jesus and it was indeed Mary who, in, sorry, Martha who invited Jesus to come to the house, but he turns up unexpectedly and he comes with 12 other people. Now picture the scene. <laughs> you know, one person turning up is one thing, but when they bring the tribe of Israel with them and it's meal time and people have been walking and working, it's going to be a little bit tricky to try and navigate that. And right in the middle of it, instead of helping out with all the proceedings, Mary is residing at the feet of Jesus. Now, just put Martha's apron on for a minute. You might have a little bad thought or two. What do you think? And anybody notice yourself in those moments? You know, you can have a, a spiritual condition called Martha Plexi. It's true. Some people are so busy doing, 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 they don't know how to be. They don't know how to rest in the presence of God. They don't know how to relax. And um, if I were Martha, I would probably be a little bit furious with Mary. I mean, we were both there when the invitation went out. But Mary is postured at the seat of Jesus. And Martha's running around trying to find enough food, maybe tidy the house a little bit and resolve the complex issues around having so many multiple guests and right at the center of this occasion is the one person who she believes is the Son of God. I think it could be a good day and a bad day all in the same moment, don't you think? And you know, if I was to retitle this and speak from another point of view on it, I would call this particular passage of Scripture the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because Martha had good intentions. Anybody ever had good intentions with God? Yeah? I think we do it every day of our lives, don't we? She had a bad day or a bad moment. Anybody ever had a bad moment? And it felt like Jesus was not really doing what he, you thought he should do? And is there anybody here who's ever made an ugly allegation against him? Let me give you an example of what that could be. Do you really care about me, Jesus? I know none of you would have said that, but for the benefit of your friends who couldn't make it this afternoon, okay, we all have times and seasons where we have great intentions, we have sometimes difficult experiences, and if we're not careful, we can start making some ugly allegations. God is always good. Of course he cares for us. So shall we read it together? Is that okay? Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. And Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? I can hear my own voice attached to that statement. Tell her to help me. Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. And I'm sure that the Lord will bless the reading of his word. So let me just highlight a couple of things that may be helpful to us as we're 
walking through this corridor in our minds of understanding how we can live with a more central approach and a more centered approach to relationship with God. The first thing I want to say that is helpful if you're intending to do that in this decade is what happens right at the beginning of this scripture. We see that while Jesus turned up at their home, both Mary and Martha welcomed him. In other words, they received the Lord. Can I just suggest any good relationship starts with that kind of openness. Any good family has that kind of reality. And it's important to know that we need to welcome the Lord into our hearts and into our lives. We need to welcome the Lord into every part of our life. God likes to be involved in our coming, our going, our rising, our sleeping, our recreation, our family, and our workplace. God likes to be welcomed. And both Mary and Martha welcomed the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was indeed Mary that chose after that welcome to sit at his feet. And she did something a little more than Martha in this respect. She made room and space to connect with Jesus. You know, sometimes I think we say, God, come into my heart and come into my life. But actually, it's just that initial flurry of knowing that you need him. We really also have to follow through and say, if I have welcomed you here, Lord Jesus, then I need to adjust some of what I'm doing to accommodate your presence in this place. John chapter 1 verse 12 said this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we invite God into our lives, we want to do a little bit more than some kind of tokenistic spiritual in invitation to God. What we want to do is say, God, if you're here, then perhaps other things need to stop. If you're in my life, God, then I need to adjust. How many times have we as Christians wanted God to adjust to our lives? Actually, the truth is real life is found when we adjust to the life of God. When we start to orchestrate our lives around who he is and place him at the center of all that we are, then actually the life of Jesus begins to flow into us and it therefore can flow out of us. Revelation 3 verse 20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God doesn't need room in your front room. He's not interested in the food that you may want to prepare for him. He doesn't get impressed by the pontifications of entertainment and all of the hospitality that sometimes comes with our Christian story. God wants time with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to connect with you. And for that to happen, you need to prioritize him and make room for him in your life. Not only did these ladies welcome him, not only did Mary welcome him personally by sitting at his feet, but it's clear from that particular posture that she was devoted to him. You know, for many, many years, my wife has always tried to teach me that love looks like quality time. You see, I thought love looked like buying her things. That works some days, that's good. Amen, ladies? Oh, me, gentlemen? And, and it's not the same whenever you're trying to build a relationship with someone and you've got a thousand things going on around you. Sometimes you could very much love this person, 
but not give them the space or the room or the time, not sit down with them and connect with them and make eye contact with them and listen in deeper than just the surface conversation. You see, Mary didn't just welcome Jesus like Martha did. Mary was devoted to him. She sat at his feet. In other words, she postured her heart in devotion. Why? Because she loved him. And because she loved him so much, he became her ultimate priority. Isn't that true? That if we truly want to connect with God, we have got to devote ourselves to him. We can't be casual in our interactions with him. And if we choose to live like that, or even occasional in our interactions with him, and if we choose to live like that, we will never feel the depth of his love. We will never experience the breadth of his care. We will never understand how beautiful and spectacular his nature is. You can't find those things in a casual encounter. They are found when you start to devote yourself to seek him and who he truly is and all he has to say. In 1 John 4 verses 19 it says, we love. In other words, we respond to God not because we have to or it's a good idea, but we simply are reflecting back to him what he has indeed proved to us. 1 John 4:19 says, we love and we love because he has first loved us. John 14 verses 15 says, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I don't believe that Jesus is saying, you prove to me that you love me by keeping my commandments. I think what Jesus is saying is this. When your love relationship with me is deep, the outworking of that is that you keep my commandments. When you're so connected to me, so devoted to me, so caught up with me, so focused on who I am, you will find that the default in your life is you won't have to think too much about the choices you make. They will be made for you. Because love always defines the choices we make. Anybody here married? No? One person at the back? Okay. If you are looking for somebody, then there's obviously a great load of people available today. Please make sure you look a little closer, come a little nearer. But the reality is the day I stood before God and the people who were there and I got married and I placed a ring on my finger, I was saying, I'm shutting everything and everyone out because from here on in, it's about God, Jane and I. You see, devotion is exclusive. You have to exclude some things so that you can make sure that you can fully engage with that which is your priority. We will never fully experience God if our lives are distracted by all manner of things. And it's important to understand that we're invited to be still. And in that settling down and just resting in the love of God, we start to find that we discover who he truly is. The third thing that happened here is not only that Mary and Martha welcomed him, not only did Mary posture her heart and devotion before him, but she completely and utterly submitted to him. She submitted to his lordship. How did she do that? Because she subjected herself to all that he had to say to her. She was subjecting herself, humbling herself, posturing herself before him because she wanted to learn from him and to receive from him. You see, sometimes I think we're guilty in the church of wanting a good sermon. Sometimes I think we want some great teaching. You know, you can have all of that and not be submitted to the word of God. 
you know, you can be in the greatest of seminars and hear the most exceptional communicators, but if you are not submitted to him, if you haven't already decided that whatever he tells you to do, you're going to do, then all you have is words. All you have is a moment. All you have is a meeting. But actually, every encounter we have with God, every time we come into his presence, every time we sit under the anointing of his word, every time we have conversation with him privately in prayer, or even corporately with others in a room like this, we are posturing our hearts in submission. And here's what we're saying. Lord, your servant is listening. Please speak. And we're not asking him to speak to us just because we need more information. We shouldn't really be asking him to speak to us because we need more affirmation. If you ever doubt the affirming love of God, take a little look at the cross of Jesus Christ. He wrote for everyone to see in blood and spit and pain and sorrow how affectionate and passionate his heart is towards you. And you know, time after time after time, when my own insecurities rise to the surface, I have to go back and fix my eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. I have to posture myself around the truth of Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave Christ to die for me. I have to step away from befuddled emotional thinking and come back to some clear understanding that God has already stated. He put a stake in the ground of this world. And he said, I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. It's not enough just to hear the word of God. It's not enough to be around people who are communicating the word of God. We must, like Mary, submit to his authority. When God speaks to us, he is not offering us advice. He's not one of many choices we can make. When God speaks to us, this is what the Bible says about his word. It will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. The only possible response when he is speaking is to say, Lord, I am your servant ready to do what you ask me to do. So Mary did those two things. And it would appear that Jesus was blessed by the way she responded to him. She received him just like Martha, but she went a little deeper in her receptivity because she devoted her attention to him. and She sat at his feet, hanging on his every word, postured, looking into his face, wondering what beautiful things he would share with her and how great it would be just to have fellowship and time with him. But she also submitted herself to him, not just to hear his words, not just to listen to his fine, glorious teaching and preaching, but to do whatever it was that he was talking about in the day-to-day -day running of her life. Now what this passage does for us is it teaches us about a balanced spirituality. Have you ever had a spirituality that's a little imbalanced? Do you know that it's hard to believe because I feel a little bit relaxed these days, but there was a time in my life where I was so, so keen to please God, I would just consistently be fasting. I know you can't believe it. I know you can't. I was fasting and praying and striving all the time to please God. I think some of that came out of my upbringing where spirituality for us in our house was always trying to prove to God that you had some value, never really recognizing back in those days that actually my value was written in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I didn't need to add anything to that, and I certainly didn't need to work for God. God has always worked on our behalf. He is full of grace and mercy and kindness, and he does for us what we could never do for ourselves, which is save us. 
And if you are trying to save yourself today, can I just tell you, please get over it. Because if you don't, you will absolutely suffocate yourself under the weight of it. There is only one Savior. There is only one blood. There is only one cross. And the only way to salvation is for you to say yes and accept what Jesus has done for you. So we sometimes get a little imbalanced in our spirituality. Um, I was counseling a gentleman a number of years ago, and he thought everything that he saw was a demon. Now, maybe he did see demons. I did have a few conversations with his friends, and maybe he was more right than he was wrong. But the truth is, he would look all the time for demonic signs. So even on the way to the church office for counseling, he would have picked up on 666 on any number plate or any door or anything that he went to. Now we laugh at that, but he was so fixated on trying to be free from the devil's power that he had no room or space in his heart to understand that God had already taken care of every demonic force on the planet. And so my journey with him was to try to rebalance some of those things and say, yes, there's a lot of bad things in this world, but just look over here for a while. And he would go back. I said, look over here for a while. You know, and it was like this kind of conversation every time I met him, and eventually he had breakthrough. You see, if you want to have power of the devil, don't go looking for the devil. Look square in the face of Jesus. Okay, if you have problems and you feel distracted or even attacked by spiritual forces, it's not about battling with them. It's about beholding the goodness of God. And as you behold the goodness of God, you realize that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sometimes we need to readdress our spiritual diet. There are some people and everything's about faith. I mean, God exists for the benefit of your pleasure. He wants to make you happy, healthy, wealthy, the most attractive person is going to marry you. You'll never live with lack. I struggle with that because when I look in the Bible, there's a few people who go through some things. Do you understand? Now, if your paradigm is always that God is going to make it all good for you, then how does this fit with you? You will have troubles and hardships in this world. Now, those are the words of Jesus. Was he wrong? Was he wrong? Of course he wasn't. Jesus was saying the overcoming life isn't about getting everything. It's about being so solidly connected to the one who supersedes all powers and authorities and dominions that actually whether you have much or you have less, you are living in the fullness of God's blessing. This wonderful life that Jesus came isn't dependent on whether I get or I don't get. It's dependent on who he is in me and who I am in relationship with him. Do you ever think you need to readdress the imbalances sometimes in your spiritual journey? And the other side of that coin is there are people who have no faith whatsoever. They're called Christian fatalists. Have you ever met a Christian fatalist? You say, God is good. Yeah. No, God is good all the time. Yeah. No, God is really good. Mm. Mm. They've almost decided without any kind of evidence at all that God isn't good. And I defy them. I often say to them, well, have you got your health? Yes-ish. Do you have some people in your life that love you? Well, maybe. Are you working? Do you have some employment? Are you able to meet your bills? Yes, but you know, it's not the job I wanted. It's not the career I hoped for. Well, Often when people are in that place, 
words can't always reach them. But the truth is, they're probably aligning themselves to some form of spirituality that has a poverty or victim mentality attached to it. And the scriptures tell us that we should take every thought captive and every vain imagination that sets itself up in our lives, and trust me, they try to, okay, against the purposes of God. And what is the purpose of God? That you would live fulfilled. Now, that doesn't mean all of your needs are going to be all of your greeds. They might be slightly different things, okay? Or that everything's going to go smooth and you're never going to have a problem. But actually, sometimes people get so negative about things. God says, I remember years ago, feeling a little bit like it myself, you know, God, he's knitted you together in your mother's womb. And on the inside of me, I'd say, I think he dropped a stitch with me. So when we submit to the word of God, we have all of this imbalance working itself out. All kinds of things are vying for our agreements, our experience, our mindsets, our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our disappointments. They all come into play. But there are two things that need to happen, and they need to happen well for us, because one without the other is not the completed Christian walk. We need to sit, but we also need to serve. If we're all about the sitting, okay, then we will never fully see the power of God at work through our lives. And some of the evidence of God using you gloriously might mean that you have to move. You might have to be stirred occasionally. You might have to step towards some things that feel a little bit challenging. But trust me, God will always turn up because he who is in you wants to work through you to realign you to the reality that he's the God who delights in you. The other thing is serving. If you're serving, 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 and you're not sitting, then you have very little to give. There's a little phrase I heard a number of years ago. You're going to have to wait with me and work it through. It sounds slightly Irish, but it has got some merit. If my output exceeds my input, then my upkeep will be my downfall. Why don't you say that with me? If my output exceeds my input, then my upkeep... And that's true. I can't give away what I haven't got. And if there's no power in my service, in other words, if it's not done for the glory of God, if it's not an act of worship, if it's not given out of an overflow of delight, then actually, if I'm not careful, I will turn into somebody who does all the right things but has completely the wrong attitude. Have you ever met somebody like that? I think it was Mark Twain who wrote these words. She was the best kind of woman in the wrong kind of way. In other words, she was so self-righteous you wouldn't go anywhere near her. You remember those places at hospital years ago, the, the kind of patriarchal uh, or, or matriarchal uh, nurse who did hospital corners, caring for the sick? What started out as an adventure of compassion turned into hospital corners that you could cut your leg on as you went past and woe betide anybody who didn't make sure those hospital corners were in place. We can start out with the best of intentions and get so uptight about all manner of things that really in the cold light of day aren't that important. We need to sit and we need to serve. And we need to serve and we need to sit. And we need to sit and then we'll serve better. And when we serve, we'll have more things to come to God with questions about and take longer over our sitting. 
We need a balanced spiritual diet. John 10, verse 9, Jesus describes this kind of lifestyle. He says, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. Amen. That's a sitting moment. They will come in and go out and find pasture. In other words, the rhythm of the Christian is coming to God and sitting and learning and abiding and welcoming and devoting and receiving and obeying. And then we go out of that place of fullness and we serve God's purposes to other people. Now, if you're, all you're doing today is serving and you're not sitting, then God bless you. You need to come and rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, if you're sitting and you're not serving, we would like you to get up and start to move towards some things that the Father has placed in your heart. Mary and Martha, a great story that we can all relate to because there are times when we recognize we are drawn like Mary was to the feet of Jesus in absolute devotion, delight, and indeed an honor to receive and submit to his word. And there are other times when we're so distracted by all the busyness that our relationship with Jesus seems to get squeezed out and it becomes about doing stuff for God, not being in relationship with him. But Jesus says to Martha, not in a scolding way, I don't believe this is how it should be read. He said, Mary has chosen a better thing and it will not be taken from her. What does he mean by that? What happens in that place of intimacy will not be robbed by anything outside of it. Now you can do work and be busy and it can be robbed from you. Here's one of the thoughts I have for you as we draw our thoughts to so close. Nobody minds being a servant in the kingdom of God. I mean, I talk to Christians all the time. Oh, I want to serve the Lord. Nobody minds. Of course they don't until they're treated like one. And the minute they're treated like one, you start to see that the motivation for their service isn't coming out of devotion. It's coming out of duty. Let us be. Martha's where we need to be. But let all of our Martha orientation of work and ministry and calling and developing the purposes in the kingdom of God come from that deeper place. Will you become a person who sits and then serves? And if you have an imbalance in your life between either of these things, just take it before the Lord and allow him to speak into that for you. Because there is no one on this planet who knows you better than him. No one who loves you greater than he loves you. And no one who understands the complexities of the human soul, particularly yours, like he does. He will bring your life back into a place of fruitfulness, back into a place of balance. Only one thing is necessary. It starts with sitting and expressed with service.